<laughs> Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. How you doing, buddy? I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired and not enough time and leaving for the Jet Center event t- uh, tomorrow. So well, I guess this will be, I will have left and come back by the time this comes out. So, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully our listeners in Arizona will have seen you. Yes. And hopefully. Gone to the Jet yes. Center event. Yeah. Oh, man. It keeps freezing here. It's snowing at my house currently. Which means it's my cement like it's taking, winter. Yeah, I was making my cement dry longer. <laughs> you just want to walk on it. I do. I want to start building Fair in enough. my shop. Fair enough. I'm going nuts. Okay. Uh, it's yeah. a short drive. It is. Short drive. Yeah. 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 Anyway, okay. uh, this is our inaugural kickoff to Women's Month. Um, so Every month is Women's Month with you and I, Dan. We care. That's true. No, no. We actually have actually, a lot of women in our show. I think uh, about we, 50% now of us of 2023. I, when we look back at it and the fact that a lot of oh, there's been a lot of really great female interviews that we've done that built Rain City and then led to the Avance podcast. And so yeah. it's really fun. You know, a lot of uh, Adam and Chrissy came to us and said we'd like to do a, a full you know march of nothing but women. So that's something to look forward to. This, is, yeah. this will be the first. Uh, this, well, this will be our first inaugural year. But um, right. This will be the, the first podcast of Women's Month. There we go. There Thank you go. You. Yeah. Yeah. And we have two great guests this week. Um, but uh, we would start it off with our, of course, our Carter Automotive Group tip of the week. And I have, uh, this one comes from a, a listener of ours. Um, and she said, hey, you should check this out. Um, I asked her, I said, hey, I need some good tips that are going to work for Women's Month. She goes, here's some fun stats that you'll like. And this is something actually, that won't get me in trouble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. This comes from Jessica Wise's Instagram or Jessica Haggett. Um, but she said they, she surveyed 500 women motorcycle riders. And here's what she found out. 61.2% of women riders had to modify their bike to be able to ride comfortably. And 48% of women who modified their motorcycle to ride more comfortably were on their tippy toes even afterwards. Okay. After making modifications, 18% were still on their tippy toes. So they had 46, 48% of women start on their tippy toes. And even after the modifications, only 18%. Okay. So you can lower your bike. For those who didn't modify their bike, twenty-two percent are still on their tippy toes. I mean, there are days that I'm on my tippy toes, so that doesn't surprise right. me. Right? If yeah. you've ever ridden a dirt bike, yeah. like you got to be if you don't if you're shorter than six feet tall and you ride, you want to ride a full size frame bike, you are going to be in for a stretch. You're going to be leaning, and even I'm on my toes. Um, and then the last fifty-five percent of women said they want to uh, they'd want a more powerful motorcycle if they knew they could ride it more comfortably. Interesting. Yep. 32.5% of women said they spent over $1,000 on mods so they could ride more comfortably, which is not surprising. I think women are more logical on motorcycles. I never hear about women going down on motorcycles. It's always guys that were doing something stupid and, you know, speeding and things like that. So, yeah, that's actually yeah, off logic. True. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do wonder, um, for the sake of statistics, if that is, if, if you took the, the number of women motorcycle riders, so you said of, you know, of 100, you know, 10% have crashed, and out of 100 guys, how many have crashed? I wonder what that stat is. I don't have that. Well, I feel if you're, if you're a guy riding a motorcycle, you're in two categories. You either have crashed or you're going to. Pretty yeah, much. I mean, yeah. we Most always say have. you're going to crash. Yeah. You know, it's not if, but when. Yeah. I think anyway. And then 22% of women said they would wear platform shoes so that they could ride more comfortably, which is a thing. There's a lot of motorcycle boots out there that address that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, 55% of women said they'd want a more powerful motorcycle if they knew they could ride more, more comfortably. I think I already said that one, but I want to go back to that one. Um, interesting the person who sent this to me, Victoria said, she was like, my takeaway from this is women need to be taller. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that works that way. Yeah. But she obviously said it as a joke. Um, cause we talked, we were talking about motorcycles and Wait, motorcycles are supposed to be comfortable. Right. I know. I have a giant dirt bike and a really small bike. We've had a lot of motorcycle enthusiasts on the show. Even people who make their own motorcycles. Yeah. And that has been forever. They're very, and anytime they make a women's 
motorcycle, like they make a motorcycle that's marketed to women, sure. it's usually trash and the women hate it. Um, I spent years in the industry dealing with this. And I remember when the Buell Blast came out. Do you remember that little thing? I do. Single cylinder. It was a, it was a v, the, the standard Buell. It was basically a twin chopped in half down to one cylinder. And everybody's that like, w- that would be one cylinder. Yeah. Right. But I mean, it was literally like half of the twin no, versus yeah. like a built a single cylinder. So it was, it was still at a slope. It was still at a yeah, slope. Yeah. And it was like all the really good women riders that I rode with were, had zero interest in it. And most people that bought one, we're just doing short commutes anyway. So they just wanted like an American bike that they could ride around town in. And they didn't, it didn't really appeal to the target they went for. And I've talked about this with, with several of our friends as well. It's like they get on the RC390, all these, these they're small single cylinder bikes. When most women I know after a year or two are really fast, one, because they're really light typically, yeah. or at least much ride, lighter than the women, uh, the men riders they ride with. And so they can handle a larger bike just fine. They just don't find one that fits. It's a something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, like, but modifying has come a lot better. But of course, then you're modifying heavily for geometry, and that creates a problem on the track. Yeah. So, anyway, um, ladies out there that ride, you're obviously not alone. This, uh, there's plenty of women riders out there with a lot of good resources on how to lower your bike and make it more comfortable to ride. Lowering springs, lowering links, revalving your suspension, even resetting your foot pegs in a different position. Think about that. All sorts of different get gimmicks. Uh, seat, shaving your seat. Um, Actually, that's probably the most common thing I tell people to do before they do all the suspension work is can you modify your seat enough to be lower? Because then you're not changing geometry. But then it's not going to be as comfortable. I can be with a gel pad insert. So true. Anyway, yeah. If you want to get a lower seat height or if you want to get a lower seat height on a bike, start with the seat itself. The modifying the suspension geometry has its negative feedbacks. One, you get lower ground clearance. Um, which even on the street can be a problem because you'll drag your pegs. And the bike was designed with a certain type of suspension and yeah, it, like even when you lower it, like you raise the forks up and you get a um, you get a lowering link. What happens often though is when you get become a really good or aggressive rider, and I tell everybody they should do a track day, no matter what bike they have, you'll find yourself dragging your pegs. And when the bike is lowered, you'll drag them a lot. Yeah. And so, and when you lower them a little bit, it doesn't have to be an extreme situation to lower your pegs. That's really bad on bikes with flat style pegs like cruisers. So the more you lower a cruiser, the more you drag the floorboards, and it can be pretty unsettling can stop and pivot too well you get we can end up crushing your foot in there a little bit yeah it's just anyway um start with the seat so anyway i feel for you i've been struggling to find solutions for the sheet for years uh it's still an argument out there manufacturers i know a few of you who work for those manufacturers are listening take this into great consideration i would love to see the market like somebody make a real bike give me a just let's start with like a 600 cc super sport in something in that category and build it just a little shorter I always feel like Ducati fits women really well. They do because they're really narrow. Yeah. Yeah. European bikes are very narrow and that helps a lot. Yeah. Anyway, we have two wonderful guests this week, Carissa and Trista. Welcome to the show. We were going to talk about things like Rebel Rally. We're going to talk about women in motorsports. We're going to talk about your long, long history of being in the automotive world because it didn't just start yesterday. (laughs) You're not new to this. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you. I should say Chris Hayden, Trista Smith. I'm sorry. There you go. Yeah. So you got it right. Probably should say no. the whole names. But uh, well, you told me to be there for the Smith part, and I was I was there, but it's on the screen. We're ready to go. So <laughs> uh, welcome both of you. Um, I want to start kind of first of all, like I said, we want to we we're, we're focusing this month on on obviously Women's Month. I want to know what kind of got you both into motorsport, into cars, into wanting to do the things that you do now. Yeah. Um. I guess I'll go ahead and jump in here. This is Carissa. Um, Chris, first. Chris, right. coming in. All right, yeah. there we go. We will we will point certain questions at certain people for you. Yeah, No worries. Um, so I I grew up in Alaska. 
And so um, we have to drive everywhere. So got my license right away. You know, um, we're driving really right away. Wasn't too interested in the car I was driving. Um, it wasn't until I sold that, which was the Dodge Neon, um, that I was looking for something more sporty. So I uh, found like a two-door Honda Civic and loved it. Um, drive, you know, we drive to Anchorage, which is like three and a half hours away just to go, you know, up for the night and back. And then uh, I guess going back a little bit on driving, um, when I was in fifth grade, my parents took my brother and I out of school and we went on a motorhome trip around the United States. So it was all about being on the road and just um, nonstop movement, checking out new things and where you could get in a vehicle. Um, I wasn't raised in a shop like a lot of women are. My dad wasn't super mechanical. My grandpa really loved cars, um, but he didn't really work on them himself. And so, uh, yeah, that was kind of my upbringing in like motorsport until I met my husband, which a lot of people are familiar with, uh, Reese Hayden. Um, we do now a lot of Porsche stuff, really involved in Vons, really involved in the Porsche community. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of a, a short story. <laughs> and now, um, as far as this last couple of years, um, he does the Porsche things and I kind of migrated towards more of the off-road, um, experience. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of me. <laughs> I feel like anybody that has grown up in Alaska has a lot more mechanical skills than most people that grow up down in the States, like as far as survival goes. So <laughs> yeah, not there, but Trista, give us a little bit about your background. Yeah. So one fun fact, Chris and I have a lot of crossover in our story, but our, for whatever reason, we didn't know each other. Our first car was the same. We both had a Dodge Neon as our first car, which I don't know, weird, awesome. small world. But um, I grew up with a dad that was kind of all things motor, whether they went in a straight line on dirt and circles. Um, but we owned a go-kart track. So I grew up just with go-karts, with carburetors being rebuilt, with that kind of stuff, just being the normal thing. So it never really seemed actually that special to me. So as I, I actually could drive a go-kart before I could ride a bike. And then as I got older and dirt biking was a thing, I did that through like middle school and then kind of laid low through high school. I did much more team sports. There wasn't that much motorsport um, involvement. Uh, first car like Carissa was a Dodge Neon. Um, and my dad's a big like Mopar guy. Everything's Demler Chrysler. So we only owned cars of that family. So it's kind of a funny side note as, as an adult, I've never owned anything that's in that family. And then obviously Carissa and I just raced uh, using a Ford Bronco, her Ford Bronco Sport. So it's just kind of a funny, like, silly thing. My dad's super proud, um, but it's a funny nod to, like, our history as being this Dodge Plymouth Chrysler family. And then you came along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Um, this is yeah. a fun one. We met actually over a uh, alternator that uh, went bad. Um, my husband and I were driving, we were working for a, doing a cycling event and setting up course and the weather was just terrible. And we were just hitting these like just solid streets full of water. And all of a sudden our car just started dying and we pulled into this random station and there happened to be a Napa that was about to close and we got everything we needed, but we didn't have tools on us. And so her husband now Reese Hayden was a buddy of ours back then in the day. And so we were in Portland. We knew he was nearby in Vancouver. So we give Reese a shout and he's like, you know what? I, I can send a friend down that can bring you my tool set. I'm at work right now. And that was Carissa. Aww. So Carissa actually came and met us at this random intersection while my husband changed out the alternator and we just sat there and hung out. 
and friends ever since. Friends ever since. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we were like, that was our introduction. And then Carissa, you can tell the rest of the story, kind of how you got found your way into Seattle. Um, yeah. So then I, you know, uh, I was working for Starbucks at the time and I went, um, uh, kind of followed Reese when he was doing his nursing program stuff all around the U S and, uh, ended up back in Seattle and didn't have any friends or anything. It was totally alone. And Tristan Tyler were really involved in team and training triathlon stuff. So I was like, sure, I'll sign up for that. No big deal. should be fun. I'll make friends. Um, and, uh, then, then we became closer after that. So it basically, um, we, we have a long history of endurance events together. That's like our big thing, whether that be in, you know, triathlons, mountain bikes and cars. <laughs> Was the rebel rally your first event together, Carissa? It was our first long um, event together. We did uh, like a TSD rally together. We did a lot of off-road training um, events together, but the actual race, um, the Rebel Rally was our first um, vehicle event together besides, yeah, yeah. Okay. And TSD is time, speed, distance, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like fun road rally, um, time, speed, distance, which does coordinate into the rebel um, for their enduros right because the rebel is all uh navigation right it's a navigation and time speed distance it's all combined so who's the navigator and who's the driver no trista you're the navigator yeah i'm the navigator uh which is funny because i'm we both get car sick <laughs> um but i get very very car sick i'm very very motion sensitive um and I'm the navigator. So I am always like, I have this little pharmacy kind of ready to go. It took all year because we had never done a motorsport event together. So we had done, we have a long history of doing, yeah, we did a 24 hour mountain bike race together. We've done really hard half irons together. Like obviously you're individually doing your thing, but we did the events uh, together. So we have this history of like doing hard things together, but this was a little different. And I had to come up with the tactics of how am I going to feel good for eight to 10 days of racing back to back. So it took kind of a year to make that game plan. And then we kind of needed a backup plan. So Carissa and I did all of our training together. So if I did ever need to drive, if I was just having a rough day, like I'm not feeling good in the car, we made sure that we were at least cross-trained enough that we could support each other. Well, let's back up a little bit here and and talk about how you guys came up with the idea to do the Rebel Rally. And then can you kind of give us your overview of what it is and so that our viewers that may not have heard of it can kind of understand? Chris, take it away. Yeah, (laughs) sure. Yeah. So in 2018, uh, Trista had just got a amazing rooftop tent for their forerunner. And, um, her husband had heard about this thing called the Northwest Overland Rally and, um, Tyler was busy and Reese was busy. And so he's like, Trista, why don't you take the forerunner and Carissa can go with you and you guys can go hang out at this Overland Rally. There's so many like different companies, there, businesses and like rad things you guys need to check out this. And we're like, okay, whatever. It sounds fun. Um, and so we went and basically made our schedule around who was giving out like free alcohol and free food. Um, we didn't have like priority set of like, you know, what, you know, what we needed to learn. Those were the right priorities. Yeah. Those are the excellent priorities. (laughs) Exactly. We were there, we were there for the party and the fun time. So we ended up learning a ton and then it just so happened that the rebel rally was having a happy hour at their booth. So we're like, Oh, check it out. And, um, 
after sitting there listening to Emily Miller talk about, you know, the Ravel and how anybody can do it and you can use a vehicle in your driveway. Um, uh, and I think Trista likes to say that I, you know, it was my payback for her getting me to do these half irons and these endurance mountain bike races. And um, so I was the one that was basically like, all right, this is our plan. We're doing this in a couple of years. This is what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, I proceeded to have two children. Um, Trista broke her leg a couple of times. Uh, and <laughs> so then she was literally learning to walk. You guys will do anything to I- try to get out of the rally. <laughs> Trista was learning to walk again and I just, I had a five month old. So I, um, October came around and we were like, you know, this thing's going to sell out. This is the year, you know, my baby will be good to be on her own by the time the rally happens. And Trista, I'm sure can walk by then. Um, and so I signed us up and let her know that that was the plan. (laughs) We were registered and we were going to do it. So then the rest of, um, last year we spent training and, uh, we, uh, we did, we did well training, did everything we could to possibly learn everything from, you know, multiple, you know, obviously off Avance off-road days. Um, we did Overland Canada four-day training up north. Um, we did, you know, REI navigation compass. We did a, um, oh, what are they called? The, the big one, Trista, that we did, the navigation course. Oh, yeah. We took a uh, navigation we knew was going to be the so I don't know if, if we should back up a little bit. The, the Rebel being a long rally, you are racing for eight days in the desert. You have a prologue day, which um, is great because you kind of just get to warm up and test your skills. But the big, big thing about it is you're doing about 200 up to maybe 300 miles a day. And it's all map and compass navigation. We cannot have any electronics. We can't have our cell phones. We can't have anything that could Bluetooth, whatever. So we knew that this is a navigation race. We need to know maps and compass. We need to figure that out. So the first thing we did, um, especially because weather in Washington, as we sign up in October, we're not looking at a couple good months of getting out there weather. So we were like, let's start with navigation. So we signed up immediately with Seattle Mountaineers program. And we took a four part wilderness navigation course. And it consisted of like a two part online module that covered both focused on different basics of navigation, third part in person. And then the fourth part was like this final exam where we were like hiking in the snow for what we thought was going to be three miles. And it turned out it's 12 miles. And like Carissa said, I had very badly (laughs) broken my leg. And I was like, you know what? I'll get through three miles. I wasn't going to make it through 12. And when we were approaching 10, realizing that, I'm not feeling so hot. They like were able to cut off a mile for us, but we were just like (laughs) tromping. It had just snowed. So we were in index in 15 inches of snow um, with our compass guiding us through snowy tree fall. But apparently after that experience, we did great because everything after that was like, well, we have a car doing the work for us. So this is awesome. I was going to ask you, did it pay off then really well during the rally? Uh, uh, the focus that we put on navigation paid massive dividends. Awesome. What modifications did you have to make to the, cause you have a baby Bronco. It's a, it's not a full size Bronco, right? Well, I I actually, my my question is kind of along those lines. I want to know who can do this rally and, and what, what, what 
it took to prep your vehicle and how you chose the vehicle you chose. Because I think when you guys did this, the, the, the Bronco Sport was pretty new. It still is. But yeah. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? How you guys, I mean, obviously it's Chris's daily driver, but uh, still. Yeah. So uh, we bought the Bronco Sport in or- knowing that it could do the rally. I was a little unsure about what the different categories in the Rebel were as far as X-Cross and 4x4 at the time when I bought the the Bronco Sport, but the Bronco Sport just really fit my life in general. And knowing that it could do the rally because the previous two years it placed first in the X-Cross. So I was like, all right, well, if it can win it, like I can drive it. And so we bought the Bronco Sport um, and we ended up just accidentally getting a first edition, which is pretty amazing. Um, It was exactly the specs that I ordered, but it was a first edition that just happened to come into the dealership and the person didn't want it that ordered it. So, so that was pretty special. And uh, yeah, we were like, okay, well, let's, you know, this thing isn't a a true four by four, so let's see what it can do. So we basically took it on every single terrain, um, every single situation, because we're like, well, we have to see what we can challenge it to do and see what it's capable of. Um, and everywhere we took it, people were like blown away because they didn't expect this vehicle with, um, eight inches of clearance to really, you know, do the things that we would put it up to do. Um, we had a couple, you know, bumps in the road of things that we needed to fix. Uh, but from those learnings, it really developed my driving skills. Cause then I was like, okay, this is what I can't do. This is its limitations. Um, I know, you know, <laughs> how slow I need to go on the Avance course and what angles I need to take in order to not touch bottom. That was always my goal. And so then during the rally, it was like vehicle preservation. It's like I was out there and I was like, who does this in a Bronco sport? Who signs up as privateers in a Bronco sport? <laughs> I was like, this is this is ridiculous. What did we do? But it was amazing. And, uh, you know, on the drive down, we did have a radiator issue, which was totally unrelated to the rally. Once we got that kind of a, a temporary fix on that, we um, we had no issues uh, the whole rally. The modifications we did on it were very limited. We um, were able to get a sponsorship through Rally Innovations. They do a lot of like Subaru modifications and like kind of crossover modifications in general. Um, and they just recently started making Bronco Sport ones because the owner has a Bronco Sport. So he was like trying to fabricate some really cool stuff. And so we were able to get a really cool skid plate for the front um, area and then also a light bar, um, kind of push push bar there in front. And besides that, we went, um, we also were sponsored by um, Gear Off-Road and Falcon. And so we were able to get um, some really amazing uh, wheels and then uh, tires, uh, a little like one size larger and tire. And other than that, that was about it. We were able to take the, we took the rear seat out, no, no serious modifications and um, even when we went up to Canada for that training day, they'd never seen a Bronco sport. They were like, what did, what are you bringing to this training event? And, uh, they would send us first, <laughs> they would send us first up the mountain. It's like, okay, Bronco sport, you guys, yeah, Trista, Carissa, <laughs> you guys are going, you're doing this first. And we're like, oh my God. And, uh, and we would do it and we'd climb up this like flat, you know, rock surface and just rock it. And they were just like, you know, mouths open, like couldn't believe that this little vehicle was capable of it. I mean, I, I think I speak for Dan. You know, Dan and I love to go out to the off, uh, Avance Off-Road events and do hot dogs. And we I, I, we were there when you first showed up with that that Bronco. And, like, we all knew that the, the regular Bronco was going to be capable. And, and no, not that we questioned it, but you guys went out and dominated the course in that car. <laughs> like, and it was so cool to watch. And so many people were so impressed by that, like, how capable the car was. And it was really fun to kind of, you know, like you said, go out there and watch you guys learn and, and really take it on. But, um 
Tristan, can you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown on, on, on what it takes to, to sign up for that rally and, and things like that now that we know the, the car that was involved? Yeah. One thing I really want people to take away is, I guess, how low the bar was for us to enter into motorsport. It feels so overwhelming and daunting to think something like the Rebel or a large rally that you're just going to cop in. But we really did. We did not have a history of that um, in, really in our background. Like Chris and I did one TSD before the race just to make sure that we could read road books and stuff together. Um, but the barrier of entry is, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to learn, the barrier to entry is low. And we came in very humble and willing to learn. And we showed up at a lot of places and asked people like, you know, because you don't even know the questions that you don't know. If you don't have the information and you're not an expert in it and you haven't been in sand before and mud and before and we had a newer vehicle, Chris's vehicle's a 2021. We were racing in October of 22. We had to learn all those modes. And what does it do? What What does it mean that it's not real four-wheel drive? What What does that look like? Um, the navigation piece was, okay, well, I feel like I've always been good at reading a map. Um, I've definitely used a road atlas before. And I remember MapQuest back in the day. That was like MapQuest, like trying to think of back to MapQuest is very much like how road books are written and symbols and icons and, you know, miles per hour. It always gives you those little things. So it was it was surprisingly, um, I would say, accessible. I think Rebel specifically really wants to be accessible and show you that what, like Chris has said, the vehicles in your driveway can do more than you think and that you can probably do more than what you think as well. How do you? How do they stop you from using? I mean, you got a brand new vehicle. How do they stop you from using the GPS? Do like do they pull your fuse and like hold it at the start line kind of thing? Very yes. good question. We definitely yeah. go through tech <laughs> inspection. It, things have to be disabled. And if there's a couple, Chris, I can speak more to that. But there's a couple vehicles that not everything can be disabled. And I know they'll like cover certain parts of your screen. <laughs> yeah, um, Chris, we go ahead. were. Yeah. Um, uh, we don't have GPS enabled um, in the Bronco Sport. Uh, it, it was like an add-on feature that I was like, eh, not necessary. We have our phones. Um, so we were just, we were able to leave our screen open and not worry about it. Uh, but other vehicles, yeah, it's like impossible to deactivate some GPS. And so they will put tamper tape and cardboard over the entire um, display just so, you know, people can't use it in any way. Huh. Interesting. Did, did you guys have any problems with the car on the rally itself? And I two-part question. Did you have any problems? And what is the terrain like on the rally? I, is it just, I mean, obviously it's going to be mainly probably gravel road, but tell me more. Our radiator issue was really the only thing that ended up having a little bit of stress um, during the rally. We, um, when I was driving down uh, to Incline Village is where it started. I uh, left Seattle. Incline Village was going to stop in Susanville, California. And Trista and her family were about, you know, 15 miles ahead of me just by coincidence and um, just hit a spot, filled up with gas, just hit a spot where there was no service. Uh, it was getting dark in the middle of a forest reserve and all the lights go on the whole vehicle just like blows up. Like it's just like overheating, like just freaking out. So as soon as I can, I pulled off the road, opened the hood. It's just like steaming. I was like, Oh my gosh, like what? This is impossible. What is happening? And, uh, 
Um, so I had no way to contact anybody else. Like, I'm just going to sit here, let the radiator cool down, like, and then we'll assess. And this um, fire chief pulls up. He's coming, like, opposite of me. And he comes out and he uh, was like, what's going on? And I was like, you know, he's like, this shouldn't happen. This is a new vehicle. I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for your input. Um, but he looks in and he's awesome. He just goes <laughs> ahead and, like, he grabs the radiator, unscrews it. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's still hot. But he was like, you know, whatever. He looks in. He's like, yep, it's bone dry. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, we got flashlights out. And he's like, radiator fluid all over the engine. And we're like, what happened? And um, he's like, well, if I had any water, I was like, I got water. I was like, I got tools. I got everything. I was literally prepared for a 10-day rally. Like, I have it all. Like, do you need advice? You know, what do you need? Um and uh, he's like, well, it looks like he's like, why don't we just fill it up with water and I'll call my um, my station that's like, you know, six miles down the road or something, 10 miles. And I'll let them know you're on your way and you can refill with water there. And he followed me back like until I got service. And then I got service, called Trista, told her the situation, found the forest service. These guys came out. They, you know, I mean, they're young kids to me. They're probably in their 20s, but um, they were happy to help. You know, something, chief called us, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they bring out water. They look at their flashlights, can't see anything wrong. So we just filled up with water, filled up, refilled my water. Met up with Trista about 20, I guess, miles down the road. And it was like low again. So we took her water from her little, from their van and like poured it in again. And then 20 you know, minutes down the road, we kept refilling it as we went. And I made it to Susanville, took it into Ford and they, uh, they didn't have, you know, they're like, oh, well, we can't get you until like 1230. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, we have to make tech inspection tomorrow. I was like, we don't know what this looks like. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't have a vehicle for the rally. And, you know, used a little tears and she was like, wait, wait, wait. I was like, just go ahead and sign us up um, for that appointment. Like it's the best we can do. And she called her. She's like, let me call someone. She called the tech who was off duty. He was like, yeah, I'll come in and check it out. So like not non-working, like Ford tech came in on his day off and like diagnosed my engine. He's like, you need a new radiator. I was like, overnight it like as fast as you can. Like, let's figure this out. I mean, it's a Ford dealership. These people are like probably backed up till three months down the road. You know, they didn't have to do this for us, but they were incredible. And so Trista and I left her husband and child in Susanville, no vehicle. We took their transit van, made it to tech inspection without a vehicle, um, went through everything that we could without a vehicle and, uh, we're on the, you know, had no idea what, you know, what the future held. Um, so stressed out, so overwhelmed, like so emotional. Cause you just spent an entire year, you know, upwards of, you know, tons of money, tons of sponsors that are, you know, you know, putting themselves out there for you. And we could just not even start the rally. Like it was so like heartbreaking. Um, and then we were in our like meeting for new, rookies. And uh, I get the phone call and it hasn't arrived. So no radiator, no radiator. You can't put a radiator in if you don't have one. And we were like devastated. So we like talked to um, one of the organizers and she's like, cause nobody knew about it in rebel. We're trying to keep it our problem. We didn't want to really like have anybody, you know, have to worry about it. And at the same time, um, the marketing manager of Ford has a radiator coming from Detroit. He's like, one way or the other, he's like, we're going to get a radiator there as soon as possible. So we had two radiators, one from Ford and then one from Detroit Ford, like marketing. Um, and whatever one got there first was the plan to put it in. So uh, then was we, Ford at the rally? Yeah. Well, they were at the, the tech inspection. 
Yeah. Oh, so okay, had, cool. All right. Sorry. I just, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And after, after text inspection, after day zero, nobody's allowed to go anywhere in the rally. So, um, we took Trista's transit van to day zero base camp. We had, you know, didn't have another option on our way to, to, um, base camp. We get a call from my husband saying like, Hey, like they got the radiator, they're putting it in, but they discovered a new hose. The hose is cut. It didn't come with the assembly. Um, they're not going to be able to get in time. And we're like, how was that missed? Like how, like first you get, you know, all the levels of like anger, denial, all this stuff. And, um, the Ford, uh, service lady was like, let me, t- let me have you talk to the tech. And he's like, Hey, here's what we can do. It needs to he's just like, be a confidential conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, let me fix this for you. I will do the best I can. Um, and we're going to get you on the rally. And Trista's husband, Tyler asked him like, do you feel safe with if this was your vehicle, would you do this? And he's like, yes, I would. And so he, yeah, I was like, do it, whatever it takes, like whatever it takes to get us to the, to the, that, you know, start line. And he manufactured a hose replacement, like double layered it, basically clamped it. And Tyler drove it to uh, met us in the desert because we, he couldn't come to base camp. So we met him halfway, uh, switched vehicles, and we were able to drive to tech inspection while Trista was plotting first day's coordinates. I got it all tech inspected. We were last off the line and we made it on day zero, which let us compete in the rally. So we basically everyone said, you know, we had our rally before the rally. So the idea that we even started was amazing and nothing else bothered us. Like we were so carefree. We were so relaxed. And I think that really contributed how well we did because really we were like out there for the experience and we wanted to do well, but it like stress was gone. That's that story. Okay, so you guys have been beating around this, even though I've tried to get this question to you. Who can't go on the Rebel Rally? Oh, uh, <laughs> wow! Clearly, we're the smartest in the bunch. No, 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 no! I tried. I tried. <laughs> this is a women's there only event. Thank you. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I was like, like I'm, I'm sitting here, like, and I'm texting Dan. I'm, I'm like, I'm, this is only women, like, right? Like, I'm, I'm I don't want to be like mess it up but that's one of the really cool things about this rally is it is women only so yeah yeah and i like how inclusive it is in the sense that like you don't have to be like have this long career like you can just step in and do this which i we keep pushing this and pushing this and pushing this on the show and every uh, guest we have was a woman in motorsport does the same thing like it doesn't take this insane bar of entry to get into motorsports you want to do off-road there are plenty of women to help you out you want to do rally you want to do you know on the road course like we have a million resources we can point you to for any direction. And ladies, get out there. We need you. <laughs> we need more women in motorsports. I'm just glad Trista had somebody to leave at the Ford dealership for days. Yeah, no I mean, kidding. that was nice. I mean, that's smart, <laughs> smart on her part. Trista, you were sitting yeah. there nodding through the story. Um, I don't think people can't see this, but I feel like you have some add-ons to that story yeah, that you'd please, like to talk about. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you just have to picture this. Like, we haven't said this, but I'm, like, currently living in a Ford Transit van with my little family. (laughs) So we're, like, down to the race course. And when Chris is, like, getting, we're getting water from the van to refill her radiator every few miles, like, we're using our 30-gallon, like, water reserve tank and filling up (laughs) her stuff. That's how we're able to, we limped her along, like, what, Chris, 60 miles to Susanville? Mm -hmm. Yep. I think, yeah, 60 miles. And, uh, and then you have to picture that we show up to where everybody has their cool vehicles and they're getting decaled and wrapped 
and we're in the 10 foot tall like Ford Transit van. <laughs> and then we drive out to like secret base camp number one. Like no one can be there. Like you're DQ'd if you have outside communication. And I can't fit under the archway to get into base camp. Okay. And at some point, I mean, there's just like, like Chris said, it's emotional. We're like, we are just going to, you know, we're just going to keep checking every box so that we stay in. Like we're in it, we're in it, we're in it until at the very last moment, we're not able to run. So we just kept checking off all those boxes. We had our like tracking beacon on the ladder of the van. Like, so they were tracking the van as we were driving out. We had our team number on the van. It was, it was just such a, um, we're like, okay, kind of a fake it till you make it. Like, we just gotta, we gotta keep thinking positive. We gotta keep like rolling forward and thank the Lord it worked out. Like my husband made it into the, like the nearby town, you know, the night before. And we basically got our vehicle within two hours of us needing to run. Um, and then that was, a quite interesting because everything had battery, everything had been unplugged. So our Terra trip computer was completely uh, no longer calibrated. And we were just, we were just on course and I'm trying to uh, calibrate on the fly. And we're trying to come up with different equations of like trying to figure out rotations. Like what is it close? What was the last number that it has recorded? Can we, you know, it was just a, a very, um, interesting experience but our navigation for that day was solid we just struggled with our computer not being set the way we wanted to were you guys fully ready to take that transit van if the bronco didn't show up (laughs) our hearts were ready (laughs) we're gonna stay in this we had like our competitor vests on with our team number and we're just like showing up but it was so funny we had to like park in special places because we couldn't really be like parked in with ready who was who was everybody who was ready to run their vehicle but we also didn't have our stuff so we couldn't even have our helmets checked we couldn't have just all these little things chris had like our important binders of paperwork but everything that was physically in the car needed to be to be checked and the rebel team was amazing they did everything that they could and so i was in like this mandatory meeting plotting getting us going for day one and carissa they're just working us through um through tech inspection basically at the last minute. So it was really, really, really awesome that they were so, so helpful. That's really cool. That sounds like a great experience. Now, now that it's over, it's a great experience to talk about and look back on and laugh on, but Oh my God, the stress at that moment, I can't even imagine. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. Like the rally just became the gift. So that's where Krista says like the pressure was just off. There was like 72 hours of nonstop stress, some tears, some like, oh, shoot, this whole year we're going to. And it's not like we get a refund. (laughs) It's just gone. And and then for it to come through just ended up feeling like, wow, the race is the gift now. So we just get to enjoy this. And it took us a few days to figure out how to play the game because it is a giant scavenger hunt. Um, But we just were able to focus and be like, let's play the game. Let's do the best we can at this game, this wild game. What did you end up placing in the rally in the end? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, we placed uh, in our category, we placed fourth and we were rookies of the year. That's congratulations. That's a really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. So so you guys did it once and and then one and done, right? Like you never, you're never going to go back and do it again. We're hooked. We're hooked. We're hooked. Whatever, whatever ah, it takes to it get is. into this. And yeah, yeah, we're in it. We're in it. We're in deep. <laughs> we also, Trista left out, we had a stage win. We um, 
won the stage win for the very last day, which was Dune Day in the Imperial Sand Dunes, which is huge. Um, that is a really, really big deal. And that was one of our biggest fears because the only training we did in sand, we went to Moses Lake once with the with like some of the Avance guys who were amazing, but it just doesn't really capture the scale of the Imperial Sand Dunes. Like you get there and your heart, if you've never seen it before, your heart like drops because you're like, I have to drive in an ocean of sand. Like a 400 foot wall wave of sand. Like, how is this even possible for this little vehicle? Um, and you were saying like, you're asking about terrain and stuff, which I totally went on the radiator tangent, but uh, you basically go over every off-road train you could imagine with the exception of Washington mud and rain. So we're talking like huge boulders, huge rocks. <laughs> we're talking sand in the sand dunes. We're talking, um, you know, single track trails, tons of, you know, rock baby heads, you know, whoop-de-whoops, like every single kind of dirt, gravel, mountain, sand. It's just like, literally, I feel like, you know, people overland or, you know, off-road their whole lives. And I feel like I've done more in this last year off-roading than like, I, I could even imagine. Like, how, how was I able to like overcome all this driving and all these different trains in like one year? It's crazy. Now, you guys mentioned about tech and, and all these rules. I mean, what, are there rules like as far as speeding? And, and obviously, you can't be using modern GPS and things like that, but you can't just blast across the desert and get to the next point, right? You have to kind of explain it to me, I guess. Yeah. So each day, we basically get a list of coordinates for the day. And not everybody gets the same list or they don't get them in the same order. So you can't just also be like, well, the person that left in front of me, let's just kind of keep them within distance. Um, so you get your list of coordinates. At the beginning, they start us off with maybe, I think, Krista, we had 16 to 20, like our first day. But then by the end of the rally, you're you're charting, plotting over 30 coordinates in the day. Now we are just doing the best we can with those coordinates and maps to take headings, calculate distance, to find these places on the earth. So there's three different kinds of things that we're looking for during the day. We have green checkpoints, which really are kind of like safety checkpoints. They're really to like regroup everybody and keep everybody progressing in the right way. Um, so they're a nice big flag. You know, when you're there, we tend to meet up with like the four by four group there. They're just kind of a big, big intersection. We'll have a couple of those a day. Um, we have blue checkpoints, so it gets harder. So blues, we will either see a smaller blue banner flag or we'll see, um, or we won't see <laughs> the little blue rebar pole like in the ground. <laughs> that's how you know you are at the blue. You see the pole. Um, that's where we will lock in. And uh, the ones that we don't know at all are black checkpoints. Black checkpoints, there's nothing on the surface of the earth that tells us that we're there. We're just using our distance and our headings and uh, looking at the topography of the map and reckoning and trying to figure out, yep, I think we're here. Let's click. And then we, so we have a little uh, beacon basically that we're locking in where we're at. And we can actually see when we lock in, we can see the coordinate of where we're at. So if we write that down real quick, we actually know, are we within distance of points? Mm -hmm. And the radius for points changes. At the beginning, we have a bigger radius. And then by the end of the rally, it gets tighter and tighter to earn max points um, within the radius. But for the day, we'll always have like kind of our briefing in the morning, um, depending on the conditions of the day. We will have speed limits in place. Um, we have to, anytime we're on course, which is 
I don't know, 90% of the time, most of the time we're on course, which means we're on dirt, we're off road, we have to wear our helmets. The only time we can take our helmets off are when we are doing some sort of transfer, like we need to hit the freeway or we need to hit a paved road for a little bit to get to where we're going next. Mm. Those are the only times that we're allowed to take a helmet off. Um, but we have to maintain speed and they do track our speed. So we cannot be speeding on the freeway even. So you'll see all the cars and we're all we're all staying within the legal speed limit. And then we'll be given a separate speed limit that day on the on course. And last year, Nevada, well, just that whole area, Nevada, Arizona, that part of California, they had just been hit with a ton of rainfall um, shortly. So the race was in October. So all that rain must have came in, Chris, it was at like September then. They kind of hit that monsoon season. They got a ton of rain and it created very large washes. So for a vehicle, um, at one, once we got our tires changed out and went one size up. We had a little bit more clearance, but we only started out with like 8.7 inches of clearance. And so we have to be very careful when we're doing stuff like that. But there, there were instances where the safety team's going out in the morning, they're having to report certain sections of a road or something to be, to be watch, watching out for, because there definitely were things that had, had washed away since they had plotted the course. Huh. Cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was super fun. It's so fun. Are you guys have any plans to go uh, on more rallies like uh, Alcan or anything like that different outside of the Rebel Rally? Anything else in the works? I would I would love to do Alcan. Um uh we'll just I think that, you know, summer seems like the 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 mellower one and easier to get into and then winter has always got a, you know, the drawing raffle. Um I think it's something that We'll just have to to see, but it would be fantastic. I mean, I've done the Alcan. I've driven the Alcan many times. Um, Reese and I drove it uh, in uh, in our 1980 um, 9-11 uh, a few years ago. Well, now, a few years ago. Oh, my gosh. It's probably like 10 years ago. But that was, you know, experience in itself. Uh, Reese likes to tell the story that um, he – my grandpa always drove the Alcan, like, every year with my grandma, but he was a Corvette guy, and he didn't believe a Porsche could do it. So Reese was like, all right, all right, okay, we can do this. So let's drive. <laughs> and so we left Seattle and uh, headed up um, the Alcan and the Cassiar. And we got across the border, made it to the first Tim Hortons, and the car died. We're like, oh, okay. And uh, the starter was out. Oh, no. So we're not turning around. We're already in Canada. Um, and so we push started the car the whole rest of the way to Alaska. And uh, we also lost the windshield wipers. <laughs> so park, um, just parked downhill. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We, we pulled up to the border. We were crossing into Alaska. We pulled up to the border and the border officer was like, can you turn the car off? And we're like, well, I don't know if you want us to, we're going to have to push it to get out. And he's like, no, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But, um, yeah, but like, as far as TSDs go, you know, I've got them all on my calendar this year and hopefully we can, we can hit the, oh, and I guess Reese would like me to point out that we made it in two and a half days to, from Seattle to Homer, Alaska. So. Yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's hauling. Yeah, <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> I mean, so obviously you guys had Ford's attention when you did this. You went up there and did this, which was really cool. Obviously, they, you said that they were they were helping you get Raiders. Have you had more corporate sponsors that have come to you that now want to be a part of your your next journey? Um, yeah we we haven't had we haven't been reaching out too much this year. We're kind of just like hanging out and seeing what what's what what might fall in our lap, but we never know. Um, 
yeah, we're kind of just a wait and see right now. And, you know, we might kind of took a little bit of a rebel break, I'd say, but now we're in it. We got our deposit in, you know, we're ready. Um, and we'll just kind of see what comes down the line, but we're so excited for this year. Cause I know, you know, now that we know what it's like, now that we've experienced it, uh, and we, you know, know the tricks and the things that happen that you don't know until, you know, like Trista said, uh, we know what we can work on. We are, um, we did not excel in our Enduros last year. And that's something that we really want to focus on. Had we really focused on our Enduros and got those down last year, we would have, we definitely would have podiumed. Um, and podium as a rookie is just like a really obviously amazing experience. So that was getting rookie of the year was big, big enough, but now we know where we could work on and, and improve our, our abilities. Yeah. I also have a list of things like you just don't know what you need the first year. So I tried to anticipate all the things I would need, but also we're like sleeping in the desert every night in a tent. So when we are pulling into camp at night, like I have to haul everything out while Chris is in line for like gas and I have to set up camp in the morning. She tears down camp while I'm plotting. And uh, we learned very quickly that man, like a portable fan would have been awesome or uh, maybe a little broom so that like our thermorest didn't deflate when we were in a field of goat heads. I think Carissa lost her, I mean, night two or three, Carissa's like sleeping on the ground, like pads flat. By the time we get to Glamis in the desert, we didn't even realize it. We wake up and both of our pads are just flat and we're just like sleeping in the formed sand, which was fine. <laughs> but it was like, we learned, we learned some things last year that are like, okay, okay. We, we are racing. Also we race for, like the time cut off every day is about 10 and a half hours. And when we look at the list, you think, okay, that's not going to be so bad, but it's a very much like we just go, go, go all day for those 10 and a half hours. We get in sometimes closer than we would like, but we like to be, you know, about that half hour before our time cut off. And, uh, and then we just do it all again the next morning. We're up at 4am. Um, we get our maps, uh, depending on our departure time the next day. So I think the latest I ever got our maps and coordinates were like by 520 in the morning. So we're up early, we're packing stuff away. Um, and then plotting until we, until we leave and then we race for 10 and a half hours and then we sleep in the desert and we do it again. So it sounds crazy, but it ended up being the coolest thing I've ever done. Sounds really fun. Actually. When is this year's rally? <laughs> October twelfth. Um, the dates the are a little different. A little later this year, so I think October twelfth oh, okay. to the twenty first um, or something like that. Did you ever figure out what happened to the radiator? Was it a defect, or did you take a rock to the radiator? Uh, you know, there was no definite answer because he did switch out the radiator in Susanville, so we're not sure exactly if the radiator was even cracked or broken. Maybe it was that hose all along. I'm not sure. Um, but during the year, you know, Tristan and I had some pretty hard hits to the front end. Just uh, on the Avance course, you know, on the the Overland Adventures, and then also uh, in the sand dunes in, in Moses Lake. Like, I had no idea how to drive in sand. And we were just coming straight down, mm-hmm. just like plowed right into the sand. And sand is hard when you hit it straight on. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm not sure. Yep. But it could have been something from that, maybe a small crack, and then it just decided to blow in the wrong spot. But um, really, the stars aligned to make it work. And uh, other than that, during the rally, the very last day on Dune Day, we were getting a little overheating. Um, I think that hose may have been pushed to its limits, um, and we did um, we did have to change a tire during the rally too. But other than that, man, that little car—it's something else. It it 
It's very impressive. And, you know, as we're driving and I'm saying like, why would anybody do this in the Bronco sport? Now I'm like, why would anybody, you know, want a Jeep that could just drive over these things easily? Like, where's the fun in that for the driver? I mean, that's obviously <laughs> they have their own things that are fun, but you know, it's, it's just adds a different dynamic to the experience. So I think crossover is a, a really fun category to be in. Yeah. Maybe a Bronco Raptor, then you could fly over everything. <laughs> oh, that'd be they're, fantastic. Their tires <laughs> are too big. Bronco oh, Raptor's yeah. tires like, are too Carissa, big. Like, Carissa, why are we doing this? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 35s. Have to, yeah. Yeah. What do you mean they're okay. too big? You can, you can only have 35s in the rally. You can't go over 35s, and they have 37s, I believe, in the Ram- Raptors. Oh, okay. I believe Literally. that was Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's 37s yeah. on the Raptors, 35s on the yeah. Wild Track. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Huh. They tried last wow. year. I know they I wanted. Know. They wanted to put a Raptor in there. No, I'd, I'd be lost in the desert. Downsize the tires. Why not? Just I'd, <laughs> I'd be lost in the desert. There's. I mean, even if, you know. I mean, I would be a horrible. I'm so impressed. I, I mean, not surprised, but thoroughly impressed. Well, to be clear, we would be lost. Oh yeah, desert. we'd be dead. I mean, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I don't think I pulled yeah. out a compass since Boy exactly. Scouts. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be the only guy to be, you know, stung by a scorpion at 35 miles an hour. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's fun. Well, I hope you keep us up to date on your uh, upcoming adventures because we'd love to follow along. Uh, I hope you get to do the Alcan. Uh, it's been a dream of mine since I was a kid, and someday I'll do it. Um, you wanted to do it in a Porsche, ironically. I wanted to do it in the GTR, actually. Yeah, I wanted right. to do the winter rally in the GTR. Nissan told of me course. no. Uh, Porsche oh. was like, yeah, just drive it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so now I have the Raptor, which is like cheating. Yeah, that's, so. that doesn't count. That doesn't count. So. so. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate you guys taking time. I, I know, well, Trista, you're in what? You're in Florida right now, so yeah. I am in Florida. We're heading to uh, Atlanta tomorrow, so kind of yes. working our way back up north. Very cool. Very well, cool. The off-road days are still going at Avance, so uh, Carissa, join us until Trista gets back. Then she can join us as well. Um, we look Actually, forward to having you. This, you month, this month's off-road day is a women's yeah, only. That's right. This is, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, this month's off-road day is a women's only off-road day. And uh, for those of you listening and like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, they are always sold out. Um, I would encourage you to show up anyway because as the probably friendliest and most fun group we have, that's absolutely true. Um, They're going to let Dan and I show up. Yeah, just, we, just will, we will cook for you. Just to uh, And uh, Hot dogs. you will Hot dogs. definitely get a ride. Because that's half the fun. Yes. Woo! Yeah. Grilled Costco dogs. Grilled Costco dogs. I spare no expenses. Yep. Yep. So. Again, yeah, guys, I, we really appreciate um, you taking time. Uh, and we're so excited. To- <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I, I will be at the, uh, let's see. Me and the Baby Bronco will be at Dirtfish uh, Women's Summit as well. And then we'll definitely make appearance at the Ladies Off-Road Day. So, yeah. Well, we'll definitely be at the uh, Women's Summit. We cannot wait for that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's our good chance to sit there and listen. I mean, yeah. Amazingly like last year. So can't wait. So all the good stories. Thank you guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, and um, yeah, do you guys have a, a page that people can follow when you, when you do your ventures and things like that? Yes, we have everything. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. You can go to our website. Everything is team baby Bronco. Okay. All right. We'll make sure to put that up there. So, again, thank you, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best. Uh, For this episode of the Avance Podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.